Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. And coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. Welcome to another episode of Bridge Radio. Guys, we're on episode number 61. Wow. 61. Yes. I know. I remember when we were just first starting off this podcast. I don't think we've mentioned yet that like whenever we did episode 59, I believe it was with Dr. Michael Kruger, uh, Michael J. Kruger, and I didn't get to mention that, but yeah, we're, we've already done a, a whole year worth of uh, a podcast. Come a long way. That's exciting. Yeah, so good morning, afternoon, and evening to everyone who is tuning in. Uh, we are the Christian podcast that brings on the world's top Christian apologists, theologians, and scholars to not only discuss theology, but also to engage in the culture of today uh, through a Christian worldview, and that's something that we're going to be doing on the program today. Uh, I'm your host, Julio Mon- Rodriguez, and across from me is the president of the ministry, Steve Den Hartog. Hello, everyone. And to the right, as always, Mr. Texas over here, A.W. Rilla. A.W. Rilla, yes. Mr. Texas from Chicago. Mr. Texas from Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you're new to the program, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Android, Windows, Google Play, and also please rate or drop us a negative or positive review. We'll accept (laughs) both, okay? (laughs) Preferably positive. Yeah, preferably positive, right? So, But this, this just allows us to move up the Christian podcast charts on all those platforms. Uh, you could also tune into Bridge Radio by downloading our Bridge app available across all app stores. So simply type in Bridge Ministries. You'll see our logo, name, and slogan, Coffee and Good News. And there you can fill yourself with everything from expository sermon series through books in the Bible by uh, John Sampson, Dr. Trim Trumpert, and we're kind of building up that that uh, that list. Uh, you can find lectures from our apologetics conference, articles on Christian faith, uh, and practice devotionals, and so much more. So please, guys, check that out and, and, and share with all your friends and family. Should we shoot a, shoot a shout out to uh, uh, one of our listeners in other countries real quick? Australia. Uh, we, we Again, we, we have that little following out there in Perth, Australia. So okay. for, for our guys uh, who are out there, thank you for, for tuning in and, awesome. and our global audience. we got to get them on for a podcast someday. We do. I, I need to... Um, uh, I I, forgot, I think it was Tim. Tim Lawrence? or was he, Lawrence. I, That might be the guy from yeah. Ireland. Anyway, yeah, from Ireland. shoot us an email, man. It would be cool to get your, your contact information or actually any of our national audience. It would mm-hmm. be cool to just get some feedback response. Um, maybe we could play some, uh, some, some clips of how Bridge Radio has has, you know, influenced you and impacted you in your Christian faith and yep. life. Awesome. So, um, anyway, guys, so on today's edition of Bridge Radio, we will be um, discussing Ligonier's 2018 survey called The State of Theology. Every two years, Ligonier does a theological checkup on the United States, asking Americans what they think about God, Jesus Christ, the gospel, sin, and salvation. And guess what, guys? This, year's, this year was the, uh, the, the checkup time. So the results are in. And uh, with us today to discuss the survey is Dr. Tweedale, uh, Dr. John Tweedale. Uh, he's an uh, academic dean and professor of theology at Reformation Bible College. He is also a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church in America. He previously served as senior pastor of of First Reform Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. He was an unject 
professor in church history and systematic theology at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh. Guys, he's a Presbyterian, obviously, right? <laughs> and and as senior associate editor of Table Talk magazine, Dr. Tweedale holds a MDiv from Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and a doctorate from University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He has co-authored with Dr. Derek Thomas of the Essential Commentaries for Preacher's Library, has contributed chapters to The Beauty and Glory of Christian Living, and the Ashgate Research Companion to John Owen's Theology, and serves as an assistant editor of the Reformation Study Bible. Oh, he's got a lot going for him, this guy. (laughs) So thank you, Dr. Tweedell, for joining us today on the program. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. It's a joy to be with you all. Um, so, Ligonier Ministries, we are uh, we're, we're huge fans of Ligonier, are, Ligonier Ministries sure. here. Yeah. Um, R.C. Sproul had has had not only on many people but myself just a huge impact mm. on and you know, for those who don't know he's the founder of that ministry uh, I read what is reformed theology and it just blew my mind mm. <laughs> and it was from there I got to know about Ligonier and uh, just for our listeners please go check them out mm. uh, Ligonier is a place where they produce everything from video and audio lectures books Bibles and podcasts and now as I just said every two years y'all will be publishing the state of theology survey uh, and so I want to ask, why did Ligonier feel the need to do a theological checkup of America? What was the whole entire motivation behind the survey? That's a great question. Well, at Ligonier, uh, we are not the church, but Uh we want to serve local churches. And so we say that our mission is to proclaim the holiness of God in all of its fullness Hmm. to as many people as possible. And Mm -hmm. so in order to do that, we need to know the people we're serving, and we need to know the people that churches are serving. And so every two years, uh, starting in 2014, we have partnered with our friends at Lifeway Research, and we've surveyed each year about 3,000 Americans on a variety of beliefs, as you've already indicated, such as God and salvation, ethics in Christ, and so on. Mm-hmm. And we're doing this in order to evaluate the state of theology in the United States, because we want to help uh, Christians not only understand the world that they're living in, but we want to equip them to engage in evangelism and apologetics, as well as in discipleship. Uh, Because at the end of the day, from the very beginning of our ministry, uh, over four decades, uh, Ligonier is essentially a discipleship resource-producing ministry, Mm -hmm. and we've sought to equip Christians to articulate what they believe, why they believe it, how Mm -hmm. to live it, and how to share it. And so this is an attempt for us to evaluate where we are today in order to better apply the gospel to the needs of people, not only in the pew, but also in the street. And so this is just one way that we can serve churches as they go about the work of the Great Commission. That's great. Um, Doctor, uh, what was the response from the publishing of the 2016 survey? Well, one of the things that we're trying to do is evaluate trends over a long period of time. So an individual survey might give you uh, a a slice of analysis in the culture 
of a particular day here in the United States. But what we're trying to do is track change over a period of time. So what we're really attempting is a longitudinal study mm. where we can produce data that helps us evaluate what people believe, especially here in the United States. Huh. So the first one was done in 2014. The second one is was done in 2016. And then the third one just recently here in 2018. And we'll keep going at these two-year iterations. Well, we're starting to notice a few trends even as we move from 2014 to 2016. And, and we can get into the, the nuts and bolts of that as we proceed with our talk today. But in terms of trends, a couple of things we're beginning to, to notice. One is that we're certainly seeing a, a shift in terms of sexual ethics. So in 2016 was the first year we actually inserted the word traditional to define marriage. Okay. In 2014, we just simply spoke about sex outside of marriage is a sin. And we assumed that people understood what marriage was. But with the Obergefell case in 2015 and the Supreme Court legalizing same-sex marriage, we've now had to qualify that. And hmm. so for the first time, we inserted a qualification in terms of what we mean by marriage. And that, historically, is important because it is unprecedented for a culture to redefine the understanding of marriage in that way. Hmm. And then another trend that we're, we noticed in 2016 is that we really can no longer utilize the the word evangelical for self-identifying evangelicals to be an indicator of what someone believes. Starting in 2016, we began noticing that a, a better indicator of a person's belief is not whether he or she defines him or herself as an evangelical, but how active they are in Bible-believing churches. Hmm. So we really began seeing the importance of local church membership and participation, and that being a better indicator of how someone might respond to these questions. And okay. so we really are seeing confusion over the term evangelical. Hmm. Yeah, on your survey, it, uh, it says evangelicals have a great concern for the gospel, yet a majority of them also express some views that are contrary to the truth of the Bible. And uh, I guess just growing up as a kid, you know, when we talked about evangelicals, you were thinking of people who were, you know, Protestant, Christian, sincere, Bible-believing uh, Christians, but I think that the uh, sense of that word, that definition, has kind of uh, changed in the past. Maybe I don't know, twenty, thirty years. Is, yeah. Would you Would you say that's true? Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the goals of our ministry is to help people define terms. Mm -hmm. And evangelical mm -hmm. is one of those slippery terms. Uh, the term evangelical became popular during the time of the Reformation. And it was uh, synonymous with Protestant thought. Sure. So those who affirmed justification by faith alone in Christ alone were known as evangelicals because they heralded the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heralded the evangel. And so for most of church history, evangelicals were people who came out of the Protestant Reformation. 
Then in the turn of the 20th century, right at the beginning of the, say, 1910s, 1920s, and 1930s, you begin seeing a restricting and narrowing of evangelical that really almost became synonymous with a fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. And that was swirling around the the battle for the Bible controversies Mm -hmm. and the controversies between fundamentalists and modernists. And then as you move into the, the 20th century and you start seeing the culture wars develop, you see another restriction of evangelical really applying uh, those Bible-believing Christians that utilize, say, politics or culture wars to kind of engage with the, cult, the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And so that's very much a, a move away from kind of a theological definition of evangelical. Mm, sure. So what you began seeing over the past 30 years, as you've indicated, is people really working hard at defining that term. Uh, so in... Uh, in British evangelicals over the past, say, 20 or 30 years surrounding the work of a guy named David Bethington, you begin seeing some definition of evangelical. And then more recently, LifeWay Research uh, has also kind of identified at least, say, three or four statements that are at the heart of evangelicalism. Mm. The first, of course, is just a concern for the Bible. Uh, the Bible is authoritative in matters of faith and practice. Second is a commitment to the, the cross of Christ as absolutely necessary for salvation, so that Jesus is the only way, and we believe in uh, a substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. And then third, we actually believe that people have to trust in Christ for salvation, so the exclusiveness of the gospel. And then fourth, uh, the necessity of evangelism, that somebody actually has to be converted, and Mm. so we have to actually tell non-Christians about the gospel, because we believe people without Jesus actually do go to hell, Mm. and we say that with great, you know, burden and with tears. So those four characteristics, a concern for the Bible, a concern for the cross, concern for salvation, and a concern for kind of conversion— has become kind of a universal definition of evangelical, and that's the one that we worked with in this survey. Mm, that's really helpful. Yeah, and no, we still see it today with just politics. Mm-hmm. I just heard it last week of just a defining evangelical, not as Christians, but evangelicals. Right. We, we still even see yeah. in politics today. Yeah. So to define the difference between the two when people are, you know, and sometimes that's can be a negative connotation that we see on right. uh, on TV, especially liberal TV. Yeah. Right. right. I've even seen the definition progressive evangelical. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of right. have that little, little uh, I guess, caveat. So I, I guess for, with that defini- definition, you, just like you guys uh, at Ligonier put uh, traditional marriage, would you say this, th- this definition of evangelical is a traditional evangelical? Yes, that's right. And that's because at the end of the day, our beliefs and our confessional commitments define us as evangelicals, and then from that, mm. we focus on our behavior and ethics, mm. whereas okay. kind of progressive evangelicalism in many ways reverses that, mm. focuses yes. on evangelical behavior and social ethics, and then out of that comes doctrinal commitments, where traditionally evangelicals have said, nope, Belief first, con- confession first, commitment first, theology first, and everything flows from that. 
So the, the survey said that the majority of evangelicals expressed views contrary to the truth of the Bible. Uh, Dr. Tweedo, can you talk about some of those contrary beliefs that y'all found? Yes. Yeah, so let's again just kind of be clear. When we talk about evangelicals, uh-huh. uh, we are talking about those who are defined by their belief in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great evangel, and we're working from that definition of those kind of four qualifications. And so we noticed some uh, surprising things. Uh, We can kind of think big picture and talk about things like religious pluralism and sexual ethics, where we begin seeing a shift so that now a majority of evangelicals can say that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. We've seen something like 51 percent of evangelicals affirming that. Hmm. That is a clear shift from 2016. And so what we're seeing with the kind of increase of secularism is that God is no longer kind of plausible for uh, explaining everyday life. And so it allows for a multiplicity of views, but it doesn't allow for a belief in a single God who governs all of life. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly connected to things like a shift in sexual ethics, where we're starting to see shifts in understanding of gender, homosexuality, and marriage, and so on. But if I can kind of drill down just a little bit more, things that are really, really surprising, uh, maybe, maybe these all stem from shifting understandings of the doctrine of sin, and I can give kind of two examples of this from the survey. Uh, We saw that although evangelicals clearly believe that Jesus died on the cross for their salvation, uh, many actually do not fully understand the full weight and kind of gravity of sin. Mm -hmm. So one of our questions states this, quote, everyone sins a little but most people are good by nature. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do with that question is get at the kind of old American ideal, going all the way back to Benjamin Franklin, that God helps those who help themselves. And we found that about 52% of evangelicals agree with the statement that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. And so what we're really finding is that 52% of evangelicals disagree with the Apostle Paul, who says there is no one who is good. Yeah. Yeah. And so that reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of sin, and more importantly, the character of God. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever read the, the kind of 19th century evangelical Anglican J.C. Ryle, his book Holiness, oh, yes. he opens with this glorious statement where he says, he who, makes, who, he who wants to make great strides in holiness must first consider the greatness of sin. Huh. So Ryle begins his statement of the Christian life on holiness with an understanding of sin, because for Ryle, if you want to know the sweetness of the gospel, you have to understand the sourness of your own sin. So if evangelicals are missing their understanding of sin, if they haven't considered the gravity of sin, they're going to misunderstand God, they're going to misunderstand Christ, they're going to misunderstand themselves. 
And so that's where we come to this other statement, where only 23% of the evangelicals we surveyed agree with the statement that even the smallest sin deserves eternal punishment or eternal damnation. Wow. Uh, People have just yet to consider the full weight of their sin, not realizing that a sin against an infinite God deserves an infinite punishment. Mm -hmm. And so even one sin against a holy God will incur his just wrath and punishment for our sin. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has been entirely missed. So if sin is is taken out of the equation, it will ultimately lead to a redefining of every aspect of the Christian life. And so that was one of these areas where we saw kind of a clear, surprising shift in a majority of evangelicals. Wow. And Roman is very clear when you read 1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. who we are as sinners, right? You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta know the bad news first before you can hear the good news. Yeah. Um, and who we are. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and, and going going back to kind of kind of that point that your understanding of the nature of man is sort of a a really foundational trajectory of how you're going to look at the entire Bible, how you're going to look at God, how you're going to look at salvation. Um, for me, when I had read what is Reformed theology for the first time, um, the the section on total depravity mm. was one of the most eye opening. Um, doctrines of the Christian faith that just convicted me. Yeah. And, and even to this day, I will say that it is my favorite doctrine because mm. it shows me who I am yeah. in contrast with God. And it's, it's right. just so, so, so important. And, and so, at the root of it, Dr. Uh, Tweedell, it, I also see that it's kind of a denial of sola scriptura as well, at, at the root of yeah, it. And, right. um, and, and if you could talk about that for a moment, because Abe just brought up some passages that are very clear in Scripture very clear. of the depravity of man, yeah. and I guess sort of to kind of mend that, uh, could you kind of talk about that for, for a moment of the depravity of man? And Yeah, that's great. So when we talk about the depra- total depravity, we, we are not saying that a person is as, as bad as he or she could possibly be, mm-hmm. because thankfully the Lord in His kindness, by His Spirit, and through His law, restrains us from acting upon the base impulses of our hearts. So we, you know, thankfully and mercifully are not as bad as we could be. There are cultural restraints. What total depravity says is that sin affects the totality of our being. So there is not one aspect of our personhood that is not affected by sin. So our minds, our hearts, our wills, our bodies are all corrupted by sin, and so we are literally curved not outward toward God, but curved inward toward self, Mm -hmm. so that we are totally incapable of saving ourselves. And that's exactly right. A denial of total depravity is a denial of total uh, of sola scriptura. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because if you deny total depravity, you're now relying upon a source outside of the Bible to define who you are and to define sin. Mm-hmm. So when we listen to culture, and we listen to the Church, what we typically say is, well, the problems in this world are outside of you, and the solution is inside of you, so become a better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Where actually Christianity and the Bible inverts that. It actually says, nope, that's actually not right. The, the fundamental problem isn't actually outside of you, it's inside of you, mm. it's your own sin. Yeah. But 
thanks be to God, the solution is outside of you. It's mm. fixed. It's permanent. It's in the cross of Christ. So even if everything in your life unravels, you have a fixed point to trust. You have a Savior to lean on. And so you don't look inside yourself. You look outside of yourself to trust in Christ. Mm. And so we've seen evangelicals look outside of the, the Bible and look to culture and look to things like pop psychology to define their understanding of anthropology and sin. And I think in many ways that's the core to a lot of the things that we're dealing with today. Hmm. And and where do you think that the root of these contradictory beliefs in traditional evangelicalism is is stemming from? Um, I mean, that's a great, great question. Mm -hmm. I I do think, um, you know, if we kind of go back to this, conversation with what it means to be an evangelical. Mm -hmm. Uh, So historically, evangelicals have moved further and further away from having their beliefs and practices defined by the Bible and have their beliefs and practices defined by other things, whether Mm -hmm. it be the church, whether it be tradition, whether it be experience, or whether it be culture. And you can look at the history of the church and and see that happen in, in, in a variety of places. And so I think what we're finding is that people have long thought that traditional evangelicalism is equated with not biblical Christianity, but traditional culture or American culture. And we need to disabuse that, because when we talk about traditional Christianity, we're not talking about uh, an American Christianity. We're talking about a Christianity that's defined by the Bible. Yeah. Evangelicals, at least here in the States, have had a, a, a real problem with uh, how to define their beliefs and practices, and have often looked Mm. to things like American ideals to define their beliefs and practices. So we have to make sure that our culture is not defining our beliefs and practices, but the Word of God is. And so I think you're right to kind of say this does go back to uh, the authority of Scripture. Okay. Wow, thank you, Doctor. Since the 2016 State of Theology survey, has there been any increase or decreases in, in these contrary beliefs? Uh, yes, and, and we'll, we'll keep looking at this as we kind of keep moving forward, but I can take just one example. Uh, with the 2018 survey, for the first time, we saw that the majority of evangelicals Say that God accepts the the worship of all religions. I alluded to that earlier. Yes. And let's dig down just a little bit. What we saw is in 2016, roughly 49 percent of evangelicals agree uh, with the statement that God accepts the worship of all religion. Huh. And yet, in 2018, we see now that 51 percent agree. Wow. So what we're seeing is a slow progress of secularism as it begins to kind of overwhelm and overcome the Church. And yet we understand the Bible is absolutely clear that Jesus is the only way. Mm. But people's confidence in that is beginning to erode, and that's the value of doing these over a a long period of time. So whether it's the, the doctrine of sin, whether it's the doctrine of God, we're starting to see a clear decline in people's understanding of Orthodox Christianity. And so that's important for us to say, we're not, not simply just defining Reformed theology or defending Reformed theology. We see ourselves here in this statement attempting to defend kind of Orthodox Christianity, classical Christianity, mm-hmm. and even cardinal doctrines that people have long held 
are beginning to be eroded. And so we are seeing a decrease in kind of classical Christian orthodoxy from, say, 2014, 16, and then 18. Hmm. I think, Doctor, I have a sneaking suspicion that in two, uh, 2020, that number is probably going to go up. Yeah. 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 For evangelicals, what are some of the positive findings? I know we were just talking about... <laughs> talking about the negatives. Yeah, all negative, but let's, let's <laughs> yeah, talk about some... Everybody listening to the podcast is so to, bummed. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> We're going to have to qualify ourselves in some ways because it's been very, very interesting. I, I think when our statements sounded right, evangelicals almost you know nine times out of ten affirmed what we had to say. But then if we asked the same question in a slightly different way, they struggled to kind of consistently affirm the same thing. Hmm. But just to give people the benefit of the doubt, we have found a couple of really good, encouraging things. And I'll give you kind of two examples. Certainly as Christians, two of the central claims of Christianity concern, on the one hand, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and on the other hand, the doctrine of the Trinity. And in the survey, we have seen evangelicals uh, largely affirm those precious truths. Okay. And so regarding the doctrine of justification by faith, we found that 91% of evangelicals agree that God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. And so we give thanks to God that evangelicals understand that justification by faith alone is the hinge upon which your relationship with God turns. And then even more fundamentally than that, on the doctrine of the Trinity, we found that 97% agree with the statement that there is one true living God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we are very, very grateful that evangelicals continually define themselves in terms of their belief in the Trinity and their belief in justification by faith alone. But what troubles us is that they're not only giving intellectual assent to that, but they're not seemingly massaging those beliefs down into the rest of their theological and ethical commitments. Mm. And that's really one of the kind of big takeaways here, Mm. is that evangelicals kind of know the right thing, but actually can't connect what they believe with how they live their lives. I think that kind of it is seen in, in this statement here. But take it for what it is, and we're very, very grateful. Operating with a judgment of charity, evangelicals continue to affirm the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I, th- I think even c- coming off of that, of, of the Trinity, uh, in 2018, 78% of evangelicals agreed to the question, Jesus is the first and created being created by God. And that kind of goes back to what you're talking about, how how people will affirm the Trinity, but yet hold to something contradictory as them believing that that Jesus Christ was the first created beating, uh, beating, uh, being. <laughs> why, why should this uh, finding alarm the church? Yeah, no, you know, if we can try to be charitable in mm-hmm. one sense, we can say, well, perhaps an evangelical here was... Uh, thinking that this statement is just simply saying that Jesus is preeminent, that Jesus is glorious, that Jesus is worthy of our affection and our allegiance. You know, perhaps evangelicals are thinking that this uh, statement is exalting the person of Christ, 
And so they might think, well, why wouldn't I? Of course he's first. He's greatest. He's the priority of my life. I'm going to affirm this. But what's troubling is that they're failing to see that that assertion would have got them condemned as a heretic (laughs) in the history of the Church. Mm -hmm. And so we find that evangelicals are increasingly unaware that that affirmation is indeed a fourth-century heresy. So in 2016, we saw that about 71% agree with that statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And then in 2018, now 78% agree with that. Now, what we are trying to do in that question is is essentially assert a form of Arianism. Now, Arianism goes back to kind of the arch-heretic Arius, who Mm -hmm. was a bishop in Alexandria in Egypt in the 4th century, and his teaching was condemned as heresy at the very famous Council of Nicaea in 325. And Arius essentially asserted that Jesus is not co-equal and co-substantial with God the Father, but is less than, is the first and greatest created being by God. So he's glorious, but he's not equal with God. And that has long been considered the core heresy throughout the history of the Church, because as Bible-believing Christians with the Council of Nicaea, we understand that God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-substantial. And so in the Incarnation, we want to say that the eternal Son of God became something that he was not, that is, a man, and yet he remained what he always was, the Son of God co-equal with the Father. And so you find in Christ the union of two natures, man and God, in one person. So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 4, 1, 14, the Word became flesh. Hmm. So you see the union of two natures in one person. But we've always maintained the importance of affirming that Jesus is not a created being, but is the eternal Son of God, and that our salvation absolutely depends on that precious truth. Yeah, and Jesus is very clear about that. If you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Mm-hmm. And, That's and, right. And as well, millennials. I, I'm, I'm 25 years old, so I, I, would, I would be considered a, a, a millennial. <laughs> I'm Gen X. <laughs> we, we get a bad rap, man. I think, well, rightfully so, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the survey found you some... You wicked generation. <laughs> <laughs> so the survey found some fascinating and unexpected results uh, in the millennial age range, which is between 18 to 34. Uh, can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, I, I, it is a fascinating thing, and it's one of these things that we're just trying to keep our eye on as we continue to do this survey. Because in some areas, what we're finding is that evangelical millennials have an increasing conviction in the importance of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I think millennials have kind of seen through uh, the hypocrisy of cultural Christianity. Mm. And so the, the more secular, in many ways, our, cultural, uh, our culture becomes, I, I think the clearer 
millennials are in terms of the importance of the central tenets of the Christian faith. And yet we see that played out in some very interesting ways, and we can look at basically three different areas, one relating to Christ, two relating to biblical authority, and three in terms of kind of everyday life and in terms of Christian ethics. So regarding uh, the person and work of Christ, I think there is a real sense of clear conviction about the central importance of Jesus Christ. So we found that 62% of millennials from ages 18 to 34 agree that only those who trust in Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That number is up pretty significantly from 53% in 2016. So these millennials continue to speak up about the importance of Christ. And so, likewise, 64% of millennials uh, agree that there will be a time when Jesus Christ returns to judge all the people who have lived. That's also up almost 10 points, up from 55% in 2016. So I think as millennials uh, continue to, to grow and continue to take uh, key places of leadership, they assert the central importance of Jesus Christ. And so there really is a glorious Christ-centeredness to uh, kind of evangelical millennial belief. And yet we're seeing some interesting trends with that. Okay. On the other hand, regarding the nature of the Bible, we, we see that millennials may be relaxing their commitment to biblical authority. So 53% of participants ages 18 to 34 agree with the statement that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. That number is also higher from 2016. Hmm. And a lot of the things that we're beginning to think about is for millennials, the question of authority is a fundamental question. What does Mm. it mean to bind someone's conscience? What does it mean to have a normative standard? Can we actually say that something is objectively true, Mm -hmm. and so we're beginning to see in millennials a a relaxing of their commitment to biblical authority. So they want Christ, but we wonder how committed they are to His Word Mm -hmm. and to having His Word disrupt their lives. Mm -hmm. And so this gets into the third area, how millennials understand kind of everyday life and Christian ethics. We've discovered that a growing minority of millennials see God as essentially removed from everyday lives. So we have a statement in the the survey that says, God is unconcerned with my day-to-day decisions. And we find that 36% of millennials agree with that statement. And that's up from both 2016 and 2014. So, yes, millennials are concerned with Christ, but they are confused, perhaps, about the central importance of biblical authority governing what they believe and how they live. And so because of that, there, there is a sense that God is somehow distant with their lives, and so they're left to kind of um, live out the Christian faith on their own. Mm. On some things, they do very well. 
they've been very clear on the fact that abortion is sin. Hmm. But on the other hand, we've found that millennials are quite open to kind of redefine things like gender, marriage, and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so they want to affirm Christ, but they're relaxing on their understanding of the Bible, and they're, they see God as removed from their lives. And so on ethical questions, there begins to be ambiguity regarding the relationship of what they believe, how culture lives, and what the Bible says about those things. Hmm. Yeah, we were just talking about this uh, uh, morning about a Christian singer, Laura Daigle, who was just recently asked about, is homosexuality a sin? And in her response was disappointing, um, mm-hmm. and she says she she says she doesn't know. She right. she said, "Read the Bible and get back to me because I'm still learning." And I, right, yeah. um, and, and it's that that was just really sad. And, and so, but um, but yeah, wow. That I, I, think, was, I think again, again, going back, I think the, the doctrine of sola scriptura is so foundational because it comes back to authority all the time. So, um, and it, it that's very foundational. Anyway, um, and, that, and on that, I just say so. Fifth, we had we had a, a one of the, the questions asked um, the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. It was an Mm. assertion. And we found that 51% of millennials from age 18 to 34 uh, agree with that statement. The Bible doesn't apply today regarding homosexual behavior. Hmm. The Bible is fine, but it actually has no bearing upon the ethics of today because there's a gap between our culture and the day when Jesus walked the earth. And so we are seeing that that issue of authority really is the crux of the matter. Yes. And, Doctor, can I just ask this question? What are the dangers with this and what you're seeing? I just want to add the dangers of uh, not having uh, uh, the Bible as our sole authority. Well, well, at the end of the day, you you end up having a privatized religion, and mm, so the yeah. individual becomes the authority in matters of faith and practice, mm. or if it's not full-on individualism, you end up having kind of tribalism. So you have little tribes developed, mm. and within tribes, you have them defining what it means to be Christian and how to live the Christian life, but you can't have any kind of transcending norm that governs all individuals and all tribes. And so I think what you're finding in things like post-modernity or pluralism or however you want to define it, it is a tribalizing of the Christian faith and a moving away from kind of creedal, confessional statements Mm -hmm. regarding Christian orthodoxy. And so I, I think you are finding a, a privatizing and a tribalizing of the Christian faith. Um, how can the survey's finding be applied to the churches and ministry today? Yeah, that's a, 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 an important question. Um, I, I think churches need to understand the people in the pews, so they cannot assume any longer that the people in the pew understand exactly what's being taught from the pulpit or in the Sunday school room or in the home Bible study. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do our work in terms of defining our terms, and we also have to do our work in arguing for the importance of the local church. 
And so we found that most people, 58%, agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Hmm. So churches and ministry need to be aware that most people who identify themselves as evangelicals no longer see the church as essential for living the Christian life. And yet for us as Christians, we understand uh, that, the, that the church is inextricably linked to Christ. He is the head, and we are his body. And so to love Christ is to love those for whom he died. Mm. And so, you know, the doctrine of the Church is essentially applied Christology. Mm. How does Jesus rule today? Well, he does so in and through the Church by his Word and Spirit. And so the Church is vital for Christian life, and yet Christians are overwhelmingly uh, displacing the Church with other other ways of kind of personal piety. And so the Church needs to work hard at dealing with people who have been scarred or hurt or abused by the Church to help them see the importance of the local Church for growing in the Christian faith. And so we hope that churches and ministries will utilize the, the, the survey as they think hard about the people they're called to serve. Again, we're not the church, we're called to serve the church, and we hope this will help them as, as they seek to fulfill the, the Great Commission. Great, wow. great, great. Well, we are coming up at the top of the program, Dr. Tweedell, uh, but as always here on the program, we allow our guests to share the gospel with our audience, and so we just would like to ask for you to do so. <laughs> great. Well, the gospel is a shorthand expression for Jesus Christ, and the gospel is offered to anyone who comes to Christ, to all people who come to Christ, but only those who come to Christ. So we understand that our sin deserves eternal damnation, that when we sin against an infinite God, we deserve an infinite punishment. And yet, thanks be to God, Christ came into this world, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death upon the cross, so that all who trust in him will not get death, which they deserve, but eternal life. And so if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friend, understand that if you stay in your sin, you will face God with your sin, and you will endure eternal punishment the unmitigated wrath of God for your sin. But if you come to God in Christ, there is unending joy and unending mercy for you. Your sins can be forgiven in Christ because he paid the penalty for the sins of all who trust in him. So the gospel is for all and any but only those who trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. John Tweedell. Uh, for our audience, where can they find some of your material here at the ministry? We're, uh, we're a Christian bookstore and coffee shop. Um, what are some books that maybe uh, you would recommend them to read um, just in order for them to, to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, if uh, they have never read The Holiness of God, uh, that's a great place to start, written by uh, Dr. Sproul. Uh, if they go to the website, the state of theology.com, and they can sign up 
to receive a free downloaded copy of R.C.'s book, uh, Everyone's a Theologian, nice. that kind of gives a, a, a layman's introduction to the core tenets of the Christian faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are two great places to start. Everyone's a Theologian by R.C. Sproul, and then if they've never read it, read Holiness of God. Yeah, yes. those are great recommendations. My my wife is actually doing a Bible study uh, this afternoon with our staff. Uh, uh, everybody's a theologian, so yeah, thank you. Those are just oh. great recommendations. <laughs> yes. yes, and the holiness of God. That was the <laughs> book that I read after what is Reformed theology. <laughs> and I remember walking into Steve's office. He was back here talking with someone. I go, this book is a paradigm shifting book. Like yeah. I just had never heard uh, you know theology like this before. I had uh-huh. come from a more charismatic background, and and uh, I, I could go on about that another time. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, Dr. Tweedell, I, uh, I, I, I'm with you in that people should go check out those two books. Yeah. So, All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, that is the end of the program for today, for this week. Uh, please visit www.bridgebookstexas.org. Click on the About slash Giving tab, and you can find more information about us through our website. We are a ministry completely dedicated to discipling and equipping Christians about what they believe, why they believe it, and how to share the gospel. And uh, please just go check us out. We uh, just want to ask that you would prayerfully consider uh, supporting this ministry. It gives us the ability to do what we do here. So stuff like the app, stuff like this podcast, apologetics conference, things that we're planning next year. Uh, So please just keep us in in, in our prayers. And, uh, and, 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 yeah, and if you would like to support us, please, we would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for all the supporters out there. We can only do this because of you. Yes. Thank you. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Thank you, and we will see you on the next one. Later.